You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizenselmira.ca. Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. It really is. And uh, we are in James and have been in James for five or six weeks now. Before we get into the text, I want to ask you a question. Why are you here this morning? I don't know if you have asked yourself that as you're sitting in the seats there. Um, And if you're a kid, you may be saying, I'm here because my family's here, I have no choice, and that's true. But for the rest of you, why are you here in this building, on this day, in this time? And I know as uh, we have gotten going here as a church, we're almost three years old, Um, It's not an exaggeration for me to say that I've had multiple conversations with different people over the years and either have been told directly in this way or uh, subtly in other ways or even by people's actions that many of you have come here to experience and grow closer to God. You don't want to drift into your 30s or into your 40s or into your 60s on the faith of somebody else or maybe some experience that you had years ago. You have entered into this space because you want to experience God in your life as a presence and a reality. And James, in this book that we are looking at, we're spending 11 weeks thinking about and reading and studying, is inviting us into that very same thing. He is constantly challenging us and pushing us and getting us to think about, do you want to experience God? Do you call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus? Or maybe, James even says, maybe you just find yourself in the room. You're just here. And you didn't even have an answer as to why you're here, but you're here. And James says, there's an opportunity for you. And this morning, as we look at the text, James is going to start with an issue, like he often does. He just kind of addresses something straight in our face, and then he, he slowly digs in deeper to really what is at the heart of what he's talking about. And so I hope that we'll go there together this morning. If you have a Bible and you haven't turned there already, look at James chapter 4. And in James chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the first sentence, James begins with a problem. He says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What a great lead-in, you know? Like, what causes fights and troubles among you? A few years ago, I think it was like 2019, or maybe it was just the beginning of the pandemic, 2020, uh, Netflix came out with a movie called A Marriage Story. I'm not sure if you watched that one. Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver. It was kind of like big hype around it. So, you know, I watched this movie, and I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it's um, the story of a marriage that is crumbling, and it is going down in flames. And... At multiple points in the movie, there's like these extended, long scenes of like people fighting with each other. Like, and so real that it feels like it's a a video camera in someone's house and you're just watching this couple just rage at each other. 
And like halfway through the movie, I was thinking like, why am I watching this movie? Is this entertainment? Like, I'm not sure if I want to see this. I'm getting like uncomfortable just watching this. Um, but, but part of the appeal of the movie actually for people that were, you know, kind of hyping it up was the realism. It was like these actors are like entering into this space of acting out this fighting. And not only are they acting it out, but for many, many people, it was an identification. They were entering into this space of, okay, maybe I'm not that bad, but there is fighting in my world as well. And throughout the movie, the, the actors either verbalize this or there's kind of the way it's filmed, they express this. They're kind of like getting to a point of like, how did we get here? How did we get to this point where it's just like total fighting? And James here is writing to believers, to Christians. He's writing to Christians who are together and he's saying, how does fighting kind of rise up in your world? You either in the context, probably most, you know, true to the text is the context of a, a local church or believers together but possibly also into the context of the individual believers that are here, maybe their own marriages, or maybe relationships with family members, or relationships with neighbors, or people in the market. James is asking the question, and he's going to answer it in a moment, how does fights and quarrels enter into your world? And this isn't just disagreements, okay? This isn't just like we like the blue carpet and other people like the red carpet. It's not just like that kind of stuff. The word here that is used actually for quarrels literally is wars. How do wars and fighting think apart in your life? What a great question for us as Christians to really think about. How do wars and fighting enter into our life? And so James says this, here's the root cause of that fighting that enters into your life. The second part of verse 1, he says this, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. James is saying, here's the problem. The, the origin story of the war and the fighting that has entered into your life is not the person that's picked the red carpet. The origin, he's saying, is actually your own internal passions that are misaligned. They're not in line with what actually someone else maybe has, and they're not even in line with, we'll see in a minute, with what God has. Titus says it this way, that people, and he's talking about people before salvation, are slaves to various passions and pleasures. We're slaves to passions and pleasures. Something rises up in our life that is really important to us, and we go after that thing. And in the process then, someone else has some other passion and pleasure that they are after. And fighting arises from that. So James says, we as, as people, and he's echoing the scriptures, we as people are living as people with misguided pleasures. We seek after the wrong thing. We get passionate about something. But because of sin and the effects of sin on our total being, like from top to bottom, sin affects us as people. 
It affects us corporately as a congregation. It affects our society and the systems. There is brokenness at every level, which God can redeem and bring healing into, but there's brokenness at every level. And so James here is saying, when that comes together, when we come together, brings quarrels or wars and fighting. So James says, no, 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 don't just point to someone else. Don't just say, hey, if, if you only knew that person, then you would know why there's wars and fighting. I mean, just look, you can't get along with that person. James is saying, no, the, actually the issue is inside our own passions misguided. But beyond that, he says there's actually, there's actually more to it than that. There's not just the brokenness that our, our pleasures are misguided and that, you know, it creates all kinds of havoc and, and problems. He says there's also some spiritual brokenness in there. Look at verse, the second part of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. He's talking about prayer here, praying to God. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So James is saying, listen, your prayers, your, your own spiritual life is broken by this misguided passion seeking. When we seek pleasure and we seek our own road and the things that we want, James is saying it is going to misalign you with what God wants and you're going to use prayer for your own means. I was thinking this week of uh, when I was in high school, I was, a, I was a terrible student in high school. Didn't apply myself. My parents were right. Okay, I can say that now. They were right. I wasn't applying myself. And when I was in, I think it was either grade 9 or grade 10 math, I was basically on a trajectory to fail math that year, which was I was going to have to take it again the following year. And I was at that time living this life where I was kind of doing what I wanted, but then trying to be or pretending to be a Christian. So I'm actually that summer on a missions trip in Pakistan, okay? I'm on a missions trip in Pakistan, following Jesus, close to Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I can remember this vividly. I'm on my bunk bed at night praying to God to help me pass math. I'm like, Lord, please, here I am serving you in the faraway lands of Pakistan. Come on, just do me a favor, Lord. I just, you know somehow work it out, a numbers mistake or some sort of, you know, the paper gets shuffled the wrong way. Just get me ahead into grade 9 or 10, whatever it was. And it didn't happen, okay? I failed, all right? But there, this is what James is talking about here. And that's a silly example, but it, it's, you're using your prayers for your own pleasures, James is saying you're so out of line, you're so out of touch with what God is doing that what you're asking him for is totally in the opposite direction of what God even has purposed for a prayer to be. James is saying this is what happens when your misguided pleasures take control of you. It leads to fighting, leads to war, but it also leads to the spiritual brokenness where you are on a totally different path than what 
God has, and yet you're practicing like you're a Christian. And this is James's like thesis throughout the whole book. You're practicing. You're making it look like you're, you're on mission. You're praying. And James says, you're not, your prayers aren't answered because you're totally misguided. People, in verse 4 he says that, you adulterous people. And, and the word there literally is, you're adulteresses. It's, it's the feminine word there. And the reason why James is doing that is because he's speaking to a, a mainly Jewish context. And they have a picture of a relationship of the nation of Israel with God that Isaiah kind of portrays as a husband and a wife relationship. The nation of Israel being a wife to God. And God saying, I'm in covenant with you. Nation of Israel, you're my people, my chosen people who will you know, show the brilliance of what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. So you're my wife and I'm your husband. And now James is saying that covenant relationship that God has brought between the nation of Israel and God, you are like an adulteress now. You are breaking that covenant relationship when you seek your own pleasures and your own ways. So, sound like a fun church to be in? And familiar to us. Because there's either, there's, bits of that in all of our life, or maybe there's a whole lot of that in all of our lives. And so James is then going to invite us in, which he does in every passage. He's saying, okay, I want to show you now a different path, a different way for God's people. And he's going to highlight it here in two ways. And the first is this, is humility before God. When we come to God, taking on the the action and the disposition of someone who is humble. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this, but he gives more grace. That's a, that's a beautiful statement. God gives grace. We're going to come back to that, but God gives grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then look down at verse 9. It says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is saying, okay, like, put this mindset of humility into action. Do something about it. This is not just a theological idea. This is not just something that we kind of hang our hats on. James says, if you need to, mourn, weep, you know, mourn, turn your laughter into mourning. Whatever you need to do, put on humility. And then he says in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There is your first step. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We live in an age, and every age has been an age of pride, but we live in an age of pride where kind of self-glorification and self-promotion, freedom of choice of any area of life across all spectrums, where pride is just lifted up and it's actually glorified in our society. That's the world that we're living in. Pride is good. Pride is lifted up. We will celebrate it. And so here comes James and says, listen, this is what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. This is where the, the road with the world and God's people takes a split. One way goes left, one way goes right. The natural inclination of the heart is pride. We didn't even need society to tell us that, okay? 
The natural inclination of all of our hearts is pride. And James says, God is opposed to the proud. He's, he's in opposition to that. And he welcomes into his presence those who choose the road of humility. He welcomes us in. And so James says, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships with the world, choose humility. Firstly, choose humility before God. There's your first place to do it. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. Then the subsequent relationships that you have, your coworkers, your, your wife, your husband, your, your roommate, those relationships will then be touched by your first submission to God, your humility. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself there. So he says, humble yourself. Secondly, he says, submit yourself to God. So verse 7 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So James says, choose humility. And secondly, submit yourself to God. Do not take the position of God. So what he's saying there in verses 11 and 12, he's saying, you're entering into the space of God where you're judging your neighbor, where you are saying, this is right, this is wrong. You're using your own opinion, your own wisdom, just to kind of enter into that. James says, there's only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one root for truth to come into people's lives, and that is God. Now, God uses us as people to express wisdom to each other and to speak words of caution so that's like a form of judgment, but that's not what James is talking about here. James is talking about judgment as in putting ourselves in the place of God. And so he says, submit yourself to God. And humility and submission are not easy things, are they? They're not easy for me, you know, to, to humble myself, and to even submit myself to God's plan for my life is extremely difficult. And throughout the Gospels, as you read and see Jesus interacting with people, and you see him talking to people, you see that there are a lot of people who struggle with what he has to say and submitting with his words and his teaching. There's a story where Jesus interacts with the rich young ruler. You'll remember that story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. I'm in. 100%, like, let's go, let's take the hills. I just want to be your disciple. And Jesus says, great. Have you, can you, like, follow the law? Can you follow God? He's like, I can't. I can do it all. I follow the whole law completely. Then Jesus probes in a little bit more. Jesus says, okay, you think you follow God? You think you want to, like, fully follow me? He says, give up your riches Give them to the poor, and then follow me. We'll go together. If I'm like, if I'm everything for you, and you follow the law, you love God, you love your neighbor, then just, that should be easy. Give that away, and then follow me, and let's go. Let's do this thing. 
And if you remember the story, the rich young ruler walks away. And, and the point of that story being recorded in Mark is that the rich young ruler had great ideas, lofty ideas, but to actually submit himself to Jesus' teaching on the spot or God's will for his life was game much, was too difficult. And yet James is inviting us. He's, he's calling us in saying, listen, you want to strike a different path, the path of the way of a follower of Jesus, embrace humility in your life, Embrace submission to God's plan for your life. But how do we do that if it's so difficult? How do we practice these things? James brings us into one practice that I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about. One thing that he is calling us into that is a practice for our lives that will strengthen us, will encourage us, will help us to choose a road of submission to God and humility before him so that others in our, in our world, other relationships are impacted by that. And it's found in verse 8. And I, I think it's the, the heart of the message that James is actually trying to get us to think about. And it's this. Verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here's what James is, is opening the door for us to, to, to see and to understand. He's saying, there's a way that God works in this world. God does not force himself on us. God provides opportunities to us to enter into relationship with him. And there's coming a day where Christ will return, his second coming will happen, and those who have chosen to follow Christ will be in his presence forever, and those who have not chosen to follow Christ will not be in his presence forever. But up until that time, up until Christ comes back and it's all final, the judgment seat is all done, James is, is reminding us here that there's a way that God has made this world to work, and he wants us to draw near to him, to come close to him. He will not force himself on us. He says, draw near to me. We were made, actually, to draw near to God. We were made to be in relationship with God. It's how he has designed us to be. I don't know if you've experienced this. Um, some people have a, a job that they do that they just feel like they were made for this job. Like God has designed them and made them to do that job. They just flourish and they, they love it. I was thinking this week actually about um, like athletes. And one in particular, I was thinking of uh, Michael Phelps, right? You ever heard of him, the, the swimmer? And I was looking up the statistics again this week. It's just amazing to think of this. He won 23 gold medals. Can you imagine that? 23 gold medals. And he didn't like second place very much because he only had three silvers. And he definitely didn't like third place. He only had two bronzes. 23 gold medals. But Dave, Michael Phelps is one of those athletes who um, many people have written about him because it's almost like he was made to be a swimmer. Like the way that his body actually is built is like the premium body for a swimmer. So most of us, you know, if we spread our arms and, and our arm length is the same as our tall length, right? Well, 
his length is three more inches on his arms. So he's got like massive wingspan here, okay? And then he's got size 14 feet and his ankles are double jointed so that he can just do like an extra efficient kick. And also his, I think even his, his knees and his hips are also double jointed. So he's like a dolphin basically, right? He's just like flying through. And um, he also, his body produces less lactic acid than most of the average, all of us in here, okay? So he can just like last longer underwater and push and thus, you know, 23 gold medals. I mean, obviously he's a driven athlete, but he has been like made almost to be a swimmer. We were made by God. We were designed by God to be in relationship with him. And every once in a while, you and I get a, a glimpse. We get a, a taste of what that is. Sometimes it's literally through, through food. where We're just like in, in the moment of eating a meal and we're just like, whoa, I'm just like experiencing something. Many of us, it's through like a song. We're like entering into this space or, or maybe it's we've gone outside and we've seen this beautiful valley or we're on top of a mountain or you ha I'm sure many of you have an experience in your mind where you have felt like you're close to something supernatural, spiritual. And it's not just Christians who enter into this state. The world experiences this. They enter close to something. And maybe often they don't even have a name for it. The Apostle Paul talks about this in, in Acts 17 where he, he walks into Athens and the people there are, they're trying to cover all their bases. They got gods on every corner of the marketplace. They're just like, I don't know, a god of the benches, a god of the food, a god of sex. We've got a god of everything. And they're like, but there's got to be more. And so there's one more god in there. And Paul says, I've noticed you have a god here to the, the unknown god. They're just like, there's a category that we have no name for it. So they've created this idol and Paul says, I'm here to tell you what that's about. No, it's God, the person of Jesus. It's this unknown vacuum within you that God has actually made you to be and to know him in. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. There is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis is saying there are desires in this world, and some of them are fulfilled in part through our experiences. But we all Experience a desire for more. And he's saying the more is actually God. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Augustine, in his book Confessions, puts it this way, and we've quoted this a number of times in this church, but he says, You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So we are we are made by God to actually draw near to him. But the way that we draw near to God is really important. And, and Chris Watkins puts it this way. He says, 
Think of it in terms of two letters, the letter N and the letter U, okay? There's two ways to approach a relationship with God because when some of you think draw near to God, you're thinking, okay, devotions, I got, now I got to come to church, you know, like more than at least twice a month. I got to like add all these things. Chris Watkins says, you are coming at it from an end perspective where you are the starting point and now you got to draw near to God. You got to climb that ladder. It's like climb. You got to do your devos. You got to give. You got to memorize at least a verse, maybe once a year. I don't know. Just like climb that ladder. And then what happens? You forget. You lose motivation. You're like, I thought I memorized that verse. I can't even remember it at all anymore. And you slide down. And then you're back at the bottom again. And the whole journey begins. You climb your way back up. You climb up. But he says, listen, the message of grace, the message of the scriptures, what God has given to us, is more accurately described in the letter U. That the starting point actually is God. God is the one who acted first. Not you, not me. God has acted first. He has come through the incarnation of Jesus, maybe most clearly represented. He has come to to be with us, to make a way to give grace and love. And our response now from the bottom of the U is to rise up and worship to him. Not because of anything that we're doing, not because we got it right. So when we say, like verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, it is a response to the grace of God, what he has done for us. And so James is saying, What you are called to do is acknowledge really what God has done for you. All the work that God has done for us on our behalf. And as adults now, you know that, you know, when you're you're a kid, you have no idea that you really have, like depending on your age, you have like no part in you staying alive even, you know. You're just like a kid. Your parents are feeding you. They're giving you like a room, they're buying you blankets and clothes, you're not paying anything, you're not contributing anything, even when you do your chores, sometimes your parents are like, this was worse than they first started, you know, so you're doing zero for most of your life, okay, and yet they're nurturing, they're loving you, eventually they're seeing maturity, that's what they're hoping, and this is the world that we're in where God is continually pouring life into us continually, even in our hardship. He's he's giving us ways to be sustained and to be held by him when at various points, more than less, we're contributing zero. And it's the grace of God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so we put into practice then this drawing near most Simply, many of us put it into practice through uh, disciplines like prayer and scripture and community together. Those are ways where we enter into this act of drawing near to God because we know that we're, we're distracted and um, you know, our, our, our attention span is getting shorter and shorter. I mean, it's, it's killing you, you know, I'm still going here. It's been, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes already. And I was hearing this week, all week on the news about TikTok, okay, you know, with the Chinese government and all that. And they were interviewing some people on the street. 
And they're saying, so why do you, you know, love TikTok so much? Are you nervous that it's the Chinese government? And, and most of the young people are like, yeah, I'm not that nervous. I love TikTok because it's just like, it's not like YouTube. Long videos, like five minutes long or something. Like, who's got five minutes? You know, it's like, I need 30 seconds, you know. So TikTok is great. 30 seconds, little tidbits I just flick through. And so I was just reminded of like, okay, what God is doing and what he's asking us to enter into is totally against the grain of what we are being discipled in in the world today. So when we say disciplines like prayer and scripture and community, we literally mean disciplines. Something that you have to work your way into, not to earn relationship with God, but to make it a part of your life. So if you ever learn to ride a bicycle or if you ever learn to play an instrument, or if you ever learned any kind of discipline, you know as well as I do that it takes time to get there. There is a, a process, a road, effort and discipline to actually make it a part of your life or even make it doable. And so James's encouragement to us is this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's a promise in there. When you draw near to God, God will come near to you. He will, he will be close. He will be present in your life. I hope that all of you have some experiences like that where you can point back in your life and you can say, I can remember moments where God was so close, where he was like a, a real reality in my life. James is saying when we draw near, he will come near. So James's encouragement and my encouragement to you is you're in the room. Today at least, you're in the room. And he's saying there is an opportunity for you and I to take a step forward closer to God, to know him, to draw near to him. Maybe you have your Bible that's been, you know, sitting on your bedside table and it hasn't been cracked open in like a month six months. But can I remind you? It's there. Take the next step. Maybe you've got like a really rickety prayer life. It's like, like almost non-existent. Or maybe you just like, you thought of something last week and so you prayed something. And so it's not something that you want to like uh, tweet or, you know, make a TikTok about. Okay. But um, it's there. Something is present in your life. James is saying, take the next step. Don't stop. Take one more step forward. Make today the day where you take one more step to draw closer to God. And then the promise comes. God will draw near to you. God will be present in your life in a fuller, richer way. So James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The purpose, one of the purposes of, of us collectively, Citizens Church, and even as, as us individually, as we kind of go and spread out through the week, is that we would be not only verbally sharing the gospel with people, but we would be a living gospel message that people would actually experience the, the life-transforming message of Jesus 
through our words and through our lives, the gospel message would be put on display for people. In Before World War II, there was a, a writer named, um, I'm drawing a blank on his name here, Langdon Gilkey. And Langdon Gilkey went to Harvard, and he grew up in a Christian home and went to Harvard. And in his experience of Harvard, just essentially walked away from God, wanted no part, and just said, you know what, basically, you know, I don't like this idea of kind of people being sinful and bad and all the guilt associated with that. So he just kind of grabbed this perspective of like, people are like generally good. You know, they're kind of, they're nice eventually. They might have a bad day, but generally they're good. And so he chose a secular life, and eventually that led him to, to China, and this is just before World War II, where he was teaching English and was just involved in life there, and then came World War II, which, you know, drew the whole world into this conflict, and all the foreigners that were living in that area were pulled into these internment camps, these really small camps where like cramped, hardly any space, and, and Gilkey was in there with all these other foreigners, some of them just business people or people that were living there. Some of them were Catholic priests and some were Protestant missionaries, and he was all mixed in with these people. And, and what Gilkey noticed was that people were vicious. When they were cramped together, limited amount of food, limited amount of freedom, Gilkey was like, whoa. People are not good. People are downright nasty. And he was like, and this is not just people who are, you know, in that secular, non-believing space. He was even seeing people who were, you know, claiming to be missionaries, claiming to be priests. And it was like all this was just totally messing with his mindset. But one person stood out for him. And maybe you've heard of the, the movie Chariots of Fire and Eric Liddell. And Eric Liddell was actually in that internment camp. He was also an athlete, Olympic runner, and was famous for not racing on Sunday because he wanted to follow God and he wanted to do his right. And at that time, it was like really culturally, you know, pressing to not do anything on Sunday and have a Sabbath. And so he was well known for that and ultimately led him to be a missionary overseas. And he ended up being in the same camp as Gilkey. And Gilkey said there was one person who kind of blew the mold, who just cracked the mold on his view of a follower of Jesus, and it was Eric Liddell. And Gilkey wrote this. Ultimately, Liddell's testimony in life uh, led Gilkey back to God because he said in this one person, he saw someone whose life was actually transformed. And Gilkey wrote this, overflowing with good humor and love for life, even in the midst of the internment camp, and with enthusiasm and charm, Gilkey writes, it is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he, Eric Liddell, came as close to it as anyone I have ever known. The differences in Liddell's attitude, posture, and care for others displayed the great difference between religion and the gospel of grace. What James is reminding us of this morning and encouraging us and inviting us to embrace is the gospel of grace. 
that we would draw near to God because of his grace towards us, his love, his patience, and that that would then be the, the burning fire that affects our lives for, for the good and for the, the benefit of others through humility, submission to God's will. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for bringing us here, Lord, and for allowing us to learn from this text. And Lord, I pray that this Sunday that you would just drive into each of our hearts uh, the grace of Jesus Christ. And Lord, would you help each of us to take one more step closer and drawing near to God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.